0: Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman.
1: Welcome to our podcast where we explore all things assisted reproductive technology and have the great honor of talking to both professionals and those with personal stories. I'm Ellen Trackman, and I'm here with... Jennifer White. <laughs> Good. Hi. Right on right on cue. Yeah, um, I'm here. <laughs> Jen, I am I've been so honored for all of our amazing guests, but we are getting close to our 100th episode almost. Do I you know. have do you have a favorite?
2: Oh, uh, that's so hard. Mm-hmm. I was actually the other day somebody asked me like um a question about a couple like specific kind of episodes. So I was trying to go through and peel through and give them some links to some really like th- that specific topic. Mm-hmm. And as I was going through the list, I was like I loved that episode I loved that episode and then i look at the next one like I loved that episode I loved that one (laughs) like it was like trying to choose like what is your favorite child and Mm, I really that's easy for you with one child it is with one child but I I imagine people who have more than one might have that feeling possibly Mm. it's like me choosing my favorite dog has that I have more than one dog (laughs) there you go um but so I really like
1: I can't choose a favorite um what about you well, I have to say that among my favorites, this one is without a doubt one of them. It's it pretty awesome. It has it all a love story that is like beautiful and like brings you to tears almost, and just so inspirational and amazing, but also so much drama that this, this crazy court case and going through that with them and hearing the emotion side. Cause I've been following it from a legal side for a long time. So it was incredible to hear kind of the story of people living through it. And it's just, um, I mean, legally it was mind blowing, but personally to hear what they went through was really crazy and heartbreaking and then amazing. (laughs) You know, I know it totally, I, I I got,
2: I had goosebumps at some point during this one. So it was really incredible.
1: So, um, yeah, I mean, it always helps like lower expectations, but here I don't think we need to do that. So good. No, absolutely. Uh,
2: This, this will meet all expectations. Here we go.
1: Welcome Derek Mize and Jonathan Gregg to the show. I am so excited that you guys have agreed to join us. Uh, I feel a little bit like uh, that you guys are celebrities. I've been following your case for so long. That's an honor. She's been to, stalking to you for a really
2: long time. <laughs> a little
1: bit, kind of. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's been a really interesting case. But um, before we talk about this crazy case and the huge victory in order that just came out to spoil the ending, that there's an amazing, happy ending recently, let's talk a little bit about who you guys are and what... Got you to this point. I say, start so, at the very beginning. Yeah, how'd you mean yeah. <laughs> Jonathan? Tell us about yourselves.
3: <laughs> How did we meet? Well, first, let me say we're really happy to be here, um, Ellen. We um, someone sent one of your early articles about us to us, and I remember reading it and going, "Wow, this person really gets it." Um, you know, a Aww. lot of articles have been written. And a lot of really good articles have been written. But when we read yours, I was like, okay, this is this is someone who's really paying attention and really understands the law. Um, and so every time you wrote an article, I always read it as fast as I could and was pleased to see it. So I we we're really excited to Aww, talk to you as well.
1: Well, that is very flattering. Sometimes I try to be funny and it doesn't come off well. So I'm not, uh,
3: <laughs> no one I, I always thought they were great articles. Um, so... Johnny and I met – I call him Johnny at home. Um, (laughs) Johnny and I met in 2014. Um, I was living in New York, and I was swimming on Team New York Aquatics, which is um, an LGBTQ swim team in New York. And Johnny was living in London, and he was swimming on the LGBTQ swim team in London. Um, And he came to visit um, New York City and decided to make an appearance at our swim team. Um, And for me, it was love at first sight. And Uh I – did not believe in love at first sight, but it happened oh, um, wow. there on it, that pool deck.
1: And Johnny had—how um, did you feel? On that I
0: was—I mean, I said I thought Derek was the cutest thing, oh. so cute I was like, no, this is not real. Don't believe this thing is. Don't believe this thing. <laughs> like this can't be trusted, so I didn't trust it. Took I, him like all of a weekend to win oh. me over, and then I was oh. sold. <laughs>
3: But I, I totally to, like, envision the him.
1: starry-eyed moment, like by the pool. Oh, I know, right?
2: <laughs> so Johnny
3: and I are both American. Johnny's mom's American, but he grew up his whole life until his adult years in England, and I grew up my whole life in Mississippi. And so, coming from Mississippi and being sort of a guy, I when I you know like somebody and see they're attractive, I give them this like really awkward like chin thing. You know, I can't really do it <laughs> over the air, but I sort of like <laughs> nod my chin up. <laughs> And apparently that sure. does not translate.
0: Oh. And so
3: Johnny thought I had some weird tick from across the pool. <laughs> it kind of like he was trying to tell me to get out the water. I'm like, what?
1: <laughs> That's hilarious.
3: So it really took, like, a really weird comedy of errors, like, a whole weekend for me to, like, finally convince him that I was, like, so into him. And so we met on a Friday, and by the time he flew out on Monday, we were pretty sure we were going to spend our life together. And oh. I started going... To london every couple weeks as much as i could i was working at a law firm in new york at the time and so i would fly out on a thursday night and come back on a sunday night um and after several of those trips he agreed to move to new york and live with me and we got married the following may
1: wow wow that's awesome and um when you were poolside and doing the chin thing did did children come up right then
3: no, but they came up shortly <laughs> thereafter. <laughs> I mean, and I had how, been living in New York. I had been yeah. living in New York for 10 years at that point, and I had dated a lot of people, some really wonderful people, if any of them are listening. Um, but <laughs> shout it, out to I, all those
1: exes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, shout out to all the exes. But, you know, like a lot of people looking for love in New York, I was constantly running up against that wall or like, you know, you like each other, but you're not on the same page in terms of what you want, in terms of career and family and how that balances out. And I was dating people who like, you know, were bankers and just obsessed with their job and didn't really want a family. And so when I met Johnny, and so by th- at that point in my dating life, I was pretty quick to the point. I was like that second date guy that was like, all right, <laughs> you want kids or not? Like, wow. if, if you don't, we should probably just wrap this up.
1: <laughs> wow. And Johnny, I, know, I, I know, was feel? Not,
3: I, yeah, I mean, and he did raise it, really. He did
0: raise it early. I, um, look, I mean, I was really keen on the idea of having a family, but I suspended judgment until I had really, like, we'd spent time together and had spent time around kids and knew what we were like. And, you know, it, he's just such a great dad. So, mm. I'm, you know, like, it was kind of proven before we had kids that he would be great with kids. And, you know, like, here we are, and he's great with kids. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> So it was an easy decision for me to make with him, like to give him that answer when he asked if we could have kids because I knew he'd be fantastic.
1: Yeah. And how did that, that conversation of how to have kids, like to adopt or consider surrogacy, how did that start and go?
3: So we um, married in May 2015, um, and I did what the handbook says you're supposed to do, and I like <laughs> waited a year and gave us all the wedding bliss
1: And I think it was like
3: spring 2016.
1: Did you have a pet? Yeah, I
3: was like, no, we did not get a pet, but we we did spend um, two weeks in Hawaii, which was a huge splurge for us, like, you know, like as a postponed honeymoon. Um, And then around about a year, I was like, all right, (laughs) Um, (laughs) TikTok, Remember? And Johnny was like, well, you know we're not, it's, we're still early. And I'm like, these things take years. You know, I've been reading the blogs and, you know, joining the Facebook groups and getting all the information. I was like, these things take years. So like, if we're going to be ready in a couple of years, that means we start today. Um, and so we sat down and we thought back to our wedding. So we got married in New York city and we had a reception and, um, one of Johnny's, many of Johnny's friends came over from England and all over the world, really. Um, but one in particular, um, had a little bit to drink and I'd never met her before. And so she came up to me at the reception and she like grabbed me by the arm and she was like, I'm Johnny's friend from university. And she said her name, which I won't say. So she has her privacy, but she's like, I really want to have a baby for Um, (laughs) y'all. And I was like, wow, this is, you're, you're, you're really having a great time. Um, But (laughs) I I loved her. I'd never met her before, but I just instantly loved her. And she stayed in my mind. And so, you know, a year later when we sat down and Johnny and I were thinking about how to do this, you know, we didn't have you know, a lot of money. We didn't know much about any, We didn't know anything. Now we know so much, but we didn't know anything at the time. And I said, I'm just going to call her C because um, her name sure. starts with a C. Um, <laughs> I was like, what about your friend C? You know, should we call her? And Johnny's like, yeah, I guess we could. But, you know, she's the type of friend that you only really speak to every couple months, you know, see how things are going. So it would be a little weird if we called her out of the blue. <laughs> so Johnny and I um, made a game plan, you know, to call her and catch up and just have a call to, like, catch up. And then mm-hmm. we kept follow up in a couple of weeks and sort of, like, slowly raise the topic. Because, you know, how do you awkwardly <laughs> say to someone, wow. you know, would you carry like our baby for uh, Right. Yeah, so we called her. Um, And she's just really forward and direct. So that that characterized the rest of our time together. So she like Mm -hmm. picked up the phone. She's like, Hey yeah, how you doing? And we're like, We're good. She's like, Are you calling to see if I still want to carry a baby for you? (laughs) I (laughs) love it. And I was like, Oh my god. No, no,
1: we're not doing that for another couple of weeks. No, 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 (laughs) Jimmy. Yeah,
3: exactly. Like seeing how the weather is in England. Um, (laughs) you know um I, and sp- we're I, like I,
2: spoiler it's always the same yeah
3: that's <laughs> <Right? laughs> yeah, true but but you do as I learned because I came to live there for a while that you, you do talk about it even though it's always the same yes, endlessly um, <laughs> it like, so it just kind of took off from there um Johnny you want to sort of follow up what happened next um, yeah she so we I mean she was
0: not messing around on timing. she she was like if you can get here next week we can go like see some clinics so we, wow, um, wow. we, we, booked, we booked a flight um, it was more than a couple of weeks but we you know we, we made plans to go to go to a clinic and um, and hang out and spend a week spend just over a weekend with her and we did that and it was wonderful. We had a great time we all got on really well um, we, we one of the wonderful things about this relationship is that it's an old relationship. So I've known um, C for, you know, 20 years at this point. Um, And so a lot of this was built on understanding about trust. There was a lot of, um, there were a lot of things that we didn't need to really sort of hammer out in formal detail because we all just believed in each other to make really good decisions for each other. And, um, and so it was, it was a really sort of like lovely way of just going about things and making plans and getting excited and wondering, you know, working out how this could all work and learning more and spending more and more time together. We kept, we kept coming over to,
3: to spend more time with her and her family. Um, Because of the laws, um, in England, we, you know, we reestablished our home there. Um, And so Johnny, fortunately, had kept um, his apartment that he was living in before we met. And so um, we reestablished our home there and really put our roots in England and invested in that relationship. Um, Starting, I guess it was 2016, 17. She got, we had one embryo transfer that didn't work out, unfortunately, um, in early 2017. And then Simone's embryo transfer was in October, 2017. We learned we were pregnant in November 2017. She was born in July 2018.
1: And um, because it becomes relevant later, can I ask when you were creating embryos and thinking about the surrogacy, were you thinking that a certain one of you would be biologically connected to your child, or how did you go about that decision?
3: Um, we decided early on that. It wasn't even a decision. I mean, Johnny and I, fortunately, just really see eye to eye on this, even without having to discuss it. Um, It's always our child. Um, And so we received, you know, eggs um, from an egg donor. Um and we split them up. It was an odd number of eggs and so I think it was six and five and each were fertilized, you know, with our sperm. And, you know, you know how you you know how it goes. You know, you get the, the phone call every morning telling you the progression and every day you unfortunately lose some embryos, you know, to the cycle of life. Um and on day five, um, we had five um healthy um blastocyst. Um three of which were one persons and two of which were the other persons. But it, it never, ever, ever honestly felt like they were one persons. Um, and I think that's something that you, you know, people who go through the process and obviously people who, you know, participate in the process, like y'all, you know, start to understand is that there's so much work, you know, there's so much time and energy you spend at the clinic on the legal paperwork, you know, worrying about the money and figuring out if you can afford this, that on day five of those blastocysts, you know, developing into early life, they're yours, <laughs> you know, you, you created those. Um, and so you I'll just speak for ourselves, but I think I speak for a lot of people, you know, you feel emotional about them. And so it was never a matter of, of them being one person's or the others. Um, we did have to decide, obviously, you know, which one of them was going to be transferred first. And we did sit down. I remember that being a difficult conversation and difficult only because we were each arguing for the other.
1: Oh, um, that's great.
3: I really felt strongly that Johnny's blastocyst should go first. And he really felt strongly that the blastocyst created for my sperm should go first. And um, I think mostly because we just love each other and, and we're really excited, you know, to, to see life created from our, our loved one's sperm. Um, and so I guess Johnny won for me is how it happened. Um, (laughs) and so, you know, we, we transferred one of the embryos created from my sperm first and that didn't work out It was heartbreaking. You know, I could do a whole podcast on what it's like to go through a failed embryo transfer. Um, (sighs) and so, you know, per our agreement, we decided to take turns. And um, the second transfer was a blastocyst created from Johnny's sperm, And that's we, our daughter, Simone.
1: Yeah. I mean, the reason why I ask and bring it up is it's just so kind of luck or unlucky that the way yes. the timing worked, that if your first transfer had worked, you never would have been this huge legal case right. and in this situation. And the time, like the residency, was so close to all yes. of that. It's so bizarre, right, that it would happen this way. Um, okay, so let's let's get to that. So the second transfer took. There was a beautiful pregnancy. Do you want to give a little bit about that experience before we go to the the legal situation?
3: Yeah, it was big smiles here. You <laughs> can't <laughs> see them really smiling.
0: It was a really wonderful time. Um, yeah, I mean, it
3: was, it was a very, un, I suppose, uncon- un- it was extremely unconventional. I mean, <laughs> if, if people yeah. are listening, they're going to be like, "Oh my god!" Just so let me just give the disclaimer to anyone out there who's considering surrogacy: this is typically not how it goes. <laughs>
2: the
3: parents typically don't move in with you, so please don't be afraid <gasps> no! to be a surrogate. Did you, did you live together? I just moved myself in. I'm, um, I'm not sure. I asked. Um, <laughs> I was that terrible person that just kind of showed up with a bag and didn't leave. Um, C lived a couple hours north of London, and um, early on in the pregnancy, there was some, just you know, there was so much happening with childcare, with her job. There were so many demands, and we were friends, you know. Like at, by that point, we'd known each other for a while, and her and I and John, I mean, Johnny had known her for twenty years, but I had caught up quickly, and she was like a sister to me. She is like a sister to me. And so it, all it took was a couple of messages being like, I'm having trouble getting the kids here and there, um, that I was like, okay, I'm on my way. Um, and so I would stay a couple weeks at a time, leave a couple weeks at a time. But starting at about month five, I was there permanently um, in the house with her um, and her two kids and being pregnant, all that entails. Um, so... It just was a wonderful experience. I. It was just like a little cocoon of love and generosity and hope. You know, and just to paint that picture, a li- like even even
0: more clearly, like we. Um, so, C lives in a very small village. In, there's not even a grocery store. I had to buy a bike in the middle of all these fields. <laughs> there are all these, you know, there's, there's cattle farms and. um like there's a, a post office in the village, but nothing else. One pub. It's very cute. It's thatched roofs. It's um, oh, it's so beautiful. It's, it's, it's a really lovely, quaint little place. And you know, here we are, sort of like flying in and out with our with our luggage and preparing for for, for the birth of our daughter through surrogacy. The whole village knew about our story because there were only four hundred people there. <laughs> and the entire village sort of welcomed us and got excited wow. about this news oh. with us. We had little, you know, we we all, every single one of us, me, Derek, C, um, we all felt so much love from that community.
3: When, when C went into labour and we loaded up the car, which is also a funny story. Um, and we drove off, like literally people were like coming out of their little thatched roof houses and like waving us on to the hospital. Oh um, <sighs> my God. Oh. So it, you know, we haven't spent that much time with us, but I basically wake up every morning and within five minutes I'm looking for someone to talk to. I'm just like <laughs> an uncontrollable extrovert. So for me to be in this like small village and you know, waiting for this child to be born. I just was, I, I just knew everyone in the city. It wasn't a city. That's not <laughs> I knew everyone in the village.
0: <laughs> um,
3: it was awesome. And, and that really is an important part of our story because from the moment we went to the IVF clinic, you know, every lawyer that we interacted with in the UK, um, every person in that village, so many of them had never, I'm not, I'm, I'm sure a lot of them had never even met a gay couple much less a gay couple that was having a child through surrogacy. But every one of them within moments, you know, was on the journey with us. All it took for them was to see how much we loved C, how much we loved our baby that C was carrying. Um, And they were like, we're in, we're in, we're sold. This is totally foreign to us. We've never seen anything like it, but, but this is amazing. We're in. And we just got in the habit of believing that if we showed people who we are, and told them our story that everything was okay, you know? Yeah. Um, and so by the time we got to the State Department, we were just like, oh, okay. You have questions. No big deal. Like, yeah. let me tell you how it happens. Here's the paperwork. You know, here's – I brought like 11 inches of evidence to the State Department because I was just <laughs> literally – I mean, I'm also a lawyer, so that's yeah. just sort of what we do. Um, but I was like just m- – the more questions, the better. It, it, it had never happened Um, And throughout the entire process that anyone had looked at us and said, I understand everything you're saying. I don't care. Wow. And
1: at that point, so we'll get to that moment, but had you heard of any of the other cases or did you even have any inkling that there could be an issue?
3: Yeah, great question. And so a lot of people ask this and it's a point of emotion for me because I, I did go to law school and I worked at a really good firm in New York and supposedly I'm a really smart person. Um, I did look at the law. I, I looked at the law. I, I mean, so let me just say first, the law that mattered most in the first instance was the UK law. There was a lot to comply with. Surrogacy there is very complicated you have mm-hmm. to follow all the rules in exactly the right way there's social workers involved there's home visits there's multiple home visits there's nurses there's doctors yeah. there's so many people no compensation
1: have, a big distinction no between no compensation the US you have and to UK.
3: submit your bank records everything wow. is peeled back i mean the midwives at the hospital give evidence to the courts wow. so there is a lot to comply with so our our, our eyes were very much on that ball I did look at the U.S. law, and I pulled it up on the internet. I looked at the statute. You know, as a lawyer, you know, you're trained. Yeah. You know, don't go to common law. Don't read a blog.
1: Wed parents. were fine.
3: fine. Yeah, don't look at that. Go to a statute. You know, go to the U.S. code and read the U.S. code. That's what matters. And it said there, you know, (laughs) (laughs) if you're a child born of married parents and at least one of you is a citizen, the child is a citizen. I thought, fine. Okay, we'll get to that when we get to that. But that's not an issue because that's what we are. Easy enough. Right. So, um, what was the
1: question? (laughs) I mean, that, that, (laughs) so what, so tell me what happened, if you can recount what happened when you did go to have your daughter
3: recognized as a U.S. citizen? Um, so it started back in Atlanta. Um, it was tax season. Um, it was March and I was getting ready to do our 2019 taxes, Or no, sorry, it was March 2019, so I was getting ready to do our 2018 taxes. And I'm like, oh, okay, we're parents now, so we can claim our daughter as a dependent and get whatever tax break you get for that. And they needed a social security number. And so I thought, well, okay, I need to get her social security number. And so I went to the social security office in Atlanta, and they said, you don't have sufficient evidence that she's a citizen. We can't give her a social security number. You need to get what's called a CRBA, a Consular Record of Birth Abroad. And in order to do that, you have to go to London. And wow. I thought that was a really bad day. <laughs> oh. I, got, I got really upset about that. I had right. no I idea what to London was- for this. Yes, I went home to Johnny. I was like, oh my gosh, like we're gonna have to pay like $3,000 dollars for these flights. We have to go to London. We're gonna uh, we, you know Johnny, totally side story you know, was recovering from a brain tumor um, and he had a brain surgery oh. in November. So he was just recently back on his feet after like many months of recovery. Yeah. And so, you know, and he wasn't... I'm know, fine now. He's fine now. Good, good. Good. He's really Thank you for sharing that. that. Oh. Yeah. It was fine. It a benign brain tumor. Wow. But going to London wasn't exactly on our radar. Um, yeah. And so we, we decided to make a trip of it. We decided yeah. that the way we were going to deal with the stress was we were just going to have fun. You know, and whenever we went there, we always sort of crashed in these like, really inconvenient places. But we decided we were going to mm-hmm. splurge on a really nice hotel room um, near the London Eye, which we love, yep. and make a trip of it. So we went, we got our little, you know, what's nice for us, not like a suite, but like a nice hotel room, um, and had our appointment at the embassy, and we had lunch plans, you know, with our friends. We were just literally running an errand to get Simone's passport. <laughs> right. And we walk up to the window and, uh, you know, I brought all my evidence um, of everywhere we had lived and everything that, you know, was needed to prove the things that needed to be proved. And she was like, so which one of you is the father? And Johnny had decided Hello? to take care of Simone in the background while I ran all the paperwork. So he was like trying to keep Simone quiet, pushing her around in the bassinet. And I was, again, I was like, okay, like, you know, I get it. You know, you don't yeah. understand. Like, so we're both the father. Here's the birth certificate. I'm, you know, we're both on it. We're both fathers. And she's like, okay, but like, which one of you is the real father? Uh, And I was like, okay, uh, we're both both real fathers, but I mm -hmm. think what you're asking, I'm still trying to be nice, right? And I think what you're asking is which one of us, you know, had sperm that created our child. And she's like, yep, that's what I'm after. I was like, well, that's Johnny, you know, so here's the document showing all this, blah, blah, blah. And she kept making a long story shorter um, she kept going back to this back room and coming back with more questions and more questions and going back to the back room. And eventually she just and said, you need to sit down.
1: Were those questions like, how long has he lived in
3: the U.S.? Were they kind of focused around that? They were, how long have you lived in the U.S.? Like, do you have um, evidence that his sperm was used? You know, has there been a DNA test? Um, stuff like that. I don't really remember. It became kind of stressful and it's all yeah. kind of a fog. Um, eventually they set us down, um, and we waited and we waited and I'll never forget watching people come in with their babies, just like we had come in and they, they arrived an hour after us and they left within like 30, 40 minutes holding a passport or paperwork indicating they were going to get a passport. Um, and there was none of these questions, right? Because they were male, female couples or sometimes just, you know, single people like single women with babies. And, and they yeah. should absolutely get passports. I'm not criticizing that they did, but it just, it, it really became so obvious that we right. were being singled out because of what we look like and the well, fact and that we're for, both men.
1: For male-female couples, they weren't like, okay, show us that you're both genetically right. related to this child. They weren't asking those questions.
3: Oh. No, you, you give them a birth certificate and they're like, great, you're a family, you're married, you're on the birth certificate, here's a passport. No one said like, you know, did you have an affair? Did you need a donor egg? Did you need donor sperm? You know, are you sure it's yours? You know, how did y'all have sex? You know, give us the details. Um, none of that. It was, you you video.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, (laughs) can you
3: prove it? You know, can you prove that y'all did what it takes? You know, like it's, it, it was just, but we were there. It just also felt weird to be standing at a window in a government office talking about sperm, um, it just talk. I've gotten pretty used to talking about sperm now that all this has happened. But like, it's the first couple of times it happens, it's weird. And it's open plan, like, and everybody can hear you. Uh, yeah, it's
0: not a it's not right. a closed office that you're in. You're. I've be asked very personal questions in an open plan.
3: Situation. I think I said to them at one point, I was like, "Is do y'all want to like go back in a room? Because like these questions are really personal, and I have a lot of evidence. It would be so much easier. You know how when you're like trying to give the the teller at the bank your debit card through that little drawer, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> It was like that. And I was like shoving, you know, like pictures of like, you know, it just was weird. Um, you're shouting
2: through a plastic yeah, glass thing like, with a little tiny hole. Sh- yeah.
3: <laughs> my sperm created some embryos and so did my husband. We tried to use mine, it didn't work. So one of it just, you know, it just wasn't any of that for anyone else. And so as we're sitting there, I was like, what the heck? So then the law, I, I don't practice law anymore. Um, so then the lawyer side of me kicked in and I was like, maybe I should do some research. And so I started Googling while sitting there in the embassy. And that's when I found oh. the DeVos Banks case. Yeah. And it became sort of like, it was like one of those moments where you forgot you had an exam and you only have like 30 minutes on the way to the you know, classroom to prepare for it. I was like reading the decision as fast as I possibly could, like squeezing out on my little iPhone, trying to get a zoom in on the text and find the yeah. relevant holding. Cause I thought, okay. They're making yeah. a mistake. You know, right. there's been this court case. This has been litigated. A federal judge has said this is not allowed. They're right. making a mistake. All I got to do when they call us up there is show them this and then everything will be cool. We'll still get to lunch.
1: Man, good um, for you for looking up the
3: case and going to, being prepared to argue it. That is awesome. Yeah, I was like, or, like preparing for oral argument, like <laughs> waiting to be called <laughs> in the state department. <laughs> um, and it just took a long time, you know, like hours passed. And I could, I would walk around and I would look back into the rooms and I would see these like people huddled and, you know, I didn't know that it was about us, but I just suspected that it was. And they were just huddled up and it just felt like we were under the microscope. Um, and so they eventually called us back up to the window um, and they had sign us, they sent us to a different window. And this is not a relevant fact, but it's an interesting anecdote. Uh, this woman, um, It's hard to feel bad for her because of what she ended up saying to us, but she hated her job that day. And I just, I have no reason to believe this whatsoever other than just speculation, but I just imagine her to be a really good person with lots of different friends, probably has a lot of gay friends. And I could just tell it was hurting her heart because her like lip was quivering. And she said, you've applied for a CRBA and you've applied for a passport. And unfortunately I have to let you know that today we're not going to issue that because under our, whatever, you know, Simone is not a citizen. And my heart you know, sank to my feet. And I was like, but there's a, there's a case that says that you can't do this. You know, I, I I realize what you're saying, but like there's, this has been litigated in federal court and it was like, she, she was like, there with her finger on the, you know, can I see the manager button? Cause as soon as I asked a question, she's like, yep, get my manager. Like I, it was very clear to me. She had decided in her mind that like, I will do my job and deliver this bad news, but I'm not about to like try to defend this. Right, <laughs> um, right. So she ran, she didn't run. That's an exaggeration, <laughs> but she got up and went and got um, someone who we later learned was the head of passports and whatever there for the state department. And, um, I have no problem attesting to the fact that he was exactly the opposite of her. Um, He seemed very happy to be doing what he was doing. Smug, arrogant, rude, short. He asked me if I had any questions. I told him, you know, I asked him if he had heard of the case. Um, He said he um, was aware of it and this is their decision and essentially said that if this was the line of questioning that I had, um, then our conversation was over. Um and I asked him, How are we supposed to get back to our home? You know, our daughter doesn't have a passport. We're in London. We have a flight scheduled in a couple days. Like, how do we get home? And he said, I don't know. Good luck. Oh. And it was awful. I mean it's just really awful. It was it was awful. I was you know you I became <laughs> acutely aware that we were in an embassy, um, which is a very you know, important building, and there are lots yeah. of people around holding guns, um, and there are lots of people with power, and our daughter's livelihood was now being threatened. We felt stuck, and I wanted to have a lot of emotion. And so my mind just shifted to finding the elevator as fast as possible <laughs> um, so that I could cry because I just didn't want to cry in front of everyone um and so we had to do some paperwork um they wanted to give us a letter basically stating their decision and so they did that and we got out of the building as quickly as possible
1: then what did you
0: do um honestly we went went back to the room (laughs) you turned the lights (laughs) off (laughs) i went (laughs) we sort of just went into a bit of a funk um so you went into shock for a while yeah. we didn't really I mean we didn't go for lunch <laughs> we didn't um we didn't have our sort of like lovely weekend that we
3: everything got cancelled
0: like, we just went into uh, well two two modes the first mode was um sadness and sort of like a despair state and the second was um oh what do we do next how do we make sure that our family remains together. What do we need to do um, to get back home without breaking our family apart? It was just, the stakes were so high and we were so confused
3: and lost. We suddenly found ourselves without a map. Um, I spent a whole day in bed. I was throwing up. I was sick. I couldn't, I was just like sick. It's like sick. Like so, like I, Johnny was just amazing. He's, he stepped up and did all the diaper changes and, tried to keep Simone from realizing, you know, that one of her daddies was not feeling well, but I spent a whole, I think a 24 hour just period, just in the dark, just, you know, it just, our whole lives have been sort of just a question mark of where we're going. Right. You know, like we're 39 years old. We were born in 1980, 1981 for a large part of our lives. Like I, I thought, you know, my destiny was to, to get sick and die or kill myself You know, I didn't realize when I was a teenager that that one day things would get better and that I would be able to get married and have children. So I have a history, you know, of feeling that we have a history. A lot of people have that history, and we had started to believe that things had changed, and we were married, and we were happy, and people accepted us, and people treated us like you know a family, and. Everyone was so happy for us to have a child and our daughter is so beautiful and lovely and it was just going so well. And then it was just like crash, you're not.
1: Wow. And just to back up for listeners who are probably so confused, like, why is this happening? What what are they doing? What's the Tamash Banks case? Do you wanna explain as, you know, as simple as possible what it was that the the law the statute on Immigration says and how they were interpreting it? hmm
3: Yeah, so, you know, from a large framework, there's two ways to become a citizen in the United States, either through birthright citizenship when you're born or later in life if you naturalize, like if you come to the United States from somewhere else. Um, Simone's entitled, you know, to citizenship from the moment she was born. And there's two ways to get that. You can either get it by being born you know, on U.S. soil or you can get it by being born abroad by statute. And Simone was obviously born abroad, and so she receives her citizenship from birth by statute. And that statute clearly states that if you are a child born abroad to two married parents, at least one of which is American, you are American. Johnny and I are her parents. We are married and we are both US citizens from birth, there really is no question about whether or not Simone is a citizen from birth. Except if you decide, which the government decided to do, to treat us as a non-married couple. And if a child is born abroad to a non-married couple, they get thrown into a different area of the law. And under that area of the law, which is 309 of of the code, You are only a citizen if your biological parent has lived in the country for five years. And Johnny moved to the U.S. to be with me in 2014. Simone was born in 2018. And so at the point when she was born, he had only lived in the U.S. for four years. And so they decided, because under their view, we are not married. She was born out of wedlock, um, that she's not a citizen because her biological parent, which is Johnny, had not lived here long enough.
1: And worth pointing out that we, you know, when we're talking about when you are at the office, they're not asking same sex couples. So the government argues that the wed section implies that both parents must be biologically related to the child. Otherwise, they don't fit into the section. But no one else has asked for that, right? No one else has asked for evidence that they're biologically
3: related unless you're a same sex couple. I agree with you. I mean, the government, to be fair to them, you know, the government would say that they, they might, you know, this isn't a law pointed at same sex couples, that this is a law that could apply to opposite sex couples. Um, and they, you know, it could, but do they, you know, does every couple that comes to the window, do they ask for proof that they're both biologically connected? No. Um, is there an example in history maybe where the government, asked questions of an opposite-sex couple because you know one of the parents was in a different country and so it was just physically impossible for them to both be biological parents. I don't know. They never That's offered true. up those examples. Yeah. And I think they had plenty of opportunity to offer up those examples. Um, but what is abundantly clear through the number of lawsuits and the number of c- times this has happened is this is happening a lot. And not only a lot, but every single time a same-sex couple goes to that window, they challenge it. Yeah. And that, that is a problem.
1: So back to the story one, how did you get home?
3: (laughs) It was terrible. My gosh, it was, we had to have family meetings. We, we went to Johnny's parents house. I mean, we were literally contemplating which one of us was going to give up our career to live in England, you know, until all this was resolved and how we were going to be separated. It was terrible. And, and we had pretty much decided because, I could do my job remotely better than Johnny could. This is all pre-COVID when this has all been redefined. But, um, you know, and I had my medical appointments. And he also, yes. you know, had he still had issues. He, he, has, he had diminished vision at the time and there were, you know, he still had MRIs to make sure that this tumor was not growing back. So it was decided that Johnny would go to the States and that I would stay back in England with Simone and live with Johnny's parents for a little while and eventually get my own apartment um, and give up my career and live in England with Simone while Johnny lived in the States for as long as we had to, if we couldn't get back in the country. But we decided to go on a hope and a prayer on a plane and get to the border and try to get Simone a tourist visa, yeah. um, which is weird, right? Because like, who's, And I who, and that was,
2: was going to ask that, is how did she get into the country the first time? So is that she used her UK passport and came in on a tourist visa?
3: She always came in on an ESTA. Which is an exception to a tourist visa. It's it's kind of like a a tourist visa, but not a tourist visa. So she came in on an ESTA, Um, but so before you know, she also got in on that ESTA. But what was different this time is that we had affirmatively gone to the State Department, made an application for her citizenship, and been denied it. And now that was in the record, that was in their database. And you know, God only knows how any of this works. Nobody knows, right? How USCIS (laughs) and the State Department talks to each other. what's actually on those computers they're they're looking at when they interview at the, you at the border. You know, who knows? They could right. be watching yeah. YouTube or they could be looking at your immigration record. You know, <laughs> no one knows. So it's all a mystery, you know? And so we got on the plane hoping that they wouldn't have record of what had happened at the State Department and they would let her in on an ESTA. And thankfully, when we got to the border, the person there was more concerned about their Chick-fil-A. I'm not imagining that. <laughs> That's actually a true story. Chick-fil-A um,
1: pretty awesome. So and they waved fair. us right
3: through. So... All of the um, irritable bowel syndrome that I had had the last three days seemed like for nothing because um, we just like walked across the border. But oh, they did, I mean, you know, for stamp nothing, her passport. You can't
2: leave, right? You can't leave the
3: U.S. <laughs> well, again, yeah, like, now we okay. can't leave. But we were able to get here. We were able to right. get here and we were able to stay together. That yeah, was right. huge. You know, we were yeah. able to be together. And she had 90 days on this visa. And that's when we really started talking to the lawyers. Um, and we decided together, you know, that we would not leave the country mm-hmm. and that we, you know, unfortunately her, her tourist visa would expire. She would overstay it, which would make her, you know, undocumented and she'd yeah. have a big mark on her record for overstaying a visa. But the risk of leaving the country and trying to come back was too great um, yeah. because, you know, we'd made it that one time, but we weren't going to take that chance again.
1: Right. And did you reach out? I mean, you had read the Devash Bank's. Okay, so did you reach out to the attorneys from that case? Is that how you started?
3: I was, <laughs> I was posting. I, I after my like two days of sitting in the dark, I just did what you know we do these days, and I just started posting on Facebook. Um, yes. And one of somebody in that, my network. That's hilarious. I
1: I will just tell you, like as a quick interjection, we had a guest who came on who. Um, went through surrogacy in Mexico and was absolutely stuck there. And it was a nightmare. And it ultimately was resolved by going on Facebook and, I begging, post on Facebook. and begging for yeah. help. And that is how, it was, that's how she finally made progress. So sorry. Okay. Back to you. Get yeah. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Facebook.
3: Um, and so um, a lawyer from Lambda called me and, you know, there was, there was an inherent promise that they'll help, but there, you know, you didn't know what that was like right? Like you didn't know what that actually meant. The basic message was see if you can get back to the States and we'll pick it up from there. Um, and, and they, I should, I should say they did more than that. Um, they connected us to a law firm, Morgan Lewis, um, and a partner there, Susan Baker Manning, um, who, ah, my God, she's like our angel. She got on the phone. I thought
1: her watching her argue. I was, I thought it was excellent.
3: It was excellent. I mean, not to take anything away from when to legal and immigration equality, you know, this is their focus. This is what they do. I expected them to be amazing and they were, but Susan, you know, is a law firm partner. She did not have to devote her time to this. Um, and we got on the phone with Morgan Lewis the first time and it, it almost, it did bring me to tears actually. And cause they went through, they did a roll call of everybody on the phone. And with a few exceptions, um, well, without any exceptions, I think everybody was LGBTQ. Um, and most of them had children. And these are m and attorneys. These are antitrust litigation attorneys. These are intellectual property litigation attorneys. They came out of their jobs because they were upset that another same-sex family with children was being mistreated. And they gave their time. And Susan said to us, if y'all get to that airport and you have any problems, you call me first thing and I'll have everyone there in a flash. We'll have the media there. We'll have everyone there. We we will get her into the country. So, you know, fortunately, we did not have to do that. Um, And so we got into the country. And that's when the conversations with the lawyers really started in earnest. Um, And at that point, the DeVos Banks case was going, the Blix case was going, and we were number three. And then just within a few days, there was a number four. And then with Mm -hmm. just a few weeks after that, there was a number five. And so then there became this conversation about which of these cases, you know, need to proceed. And we were scary because <laughs> we live in Atlanta. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't <laughs> yeah. live in San Francisco. We don't live in New York. Um, we live in Atlanta. We live in the 11th Circuit. Um, and, you know, so there was a time where Johnny and I, I mean, Johnny didn't understand as much as I did because I'm the lawyer, where I was like, I basically had to explain to him, like, we're a liability. We are a liability in wow. a larger litigation strategy because of where we live. Um, but I have to say, our lawyers were fearless, and we had this amazing phone call. Um, and I forget who said it, but everyone agreed with it that you fight this from the bottom up. You know, we're not trying to just fight for families in liberal places. We're going to fight this everywhere in America, um, and we can we can win this. No matter which judge we draw, no matter what district we're in, we can win this. And so we we proceeded. Wow, uh, I
1: assume there's going to be a movie made. I, I'm. <laughs> just put <just laughs> that out there. Feeling like so inspired. Uh, so, and how? I mean, how did that go? I feel like there were some some nail biters in there. Can you tell me tell me a little about how, from your perspective, that proceeded?
3: Um, you know, I'm just being really loose mouthed. I'm just going to say what we feel because um, you know the litigation, you know, at least at this point, is over pending appeal. Um, we filed the lawsuit. We were terrified. Um, The press, you know, gave us a lot of attention. We um, had to take our address off every place we could find it on the internet. You know, people were sending us weird letters in the mail, calling us, emailing us, Facebook messaging us.
1: Really? I laid in
3: bed at night hearing, you know, sounds in the house that weren't real because I just was terrified that someone somewhere was going to get a gun and come try to hurt us because they don't like gay people with kids. You know, filing the lawsuit was terrifying because, like, people had opinions, you know? And then you're reading all these comments that are like, Saying horrible things about us and horrible things about our daughter, and it just you know it hurt it was really emotional, it was really, really emotional. It was it, I never thought going through this was going to be that hard. we Johnny and I both like just were just it was four times as hard as we ever imagined it could be um, and um, we had our first hearing with the court. We had no idea what this judge was going to be like. he's a new judge. Was appointed by Trump a couple of years ago, um, we had no idea what it was going to be like. Um, and I have to say, um, it just um, one of the most one of the best, most amazing parts of this story is is the judge. Um, he listened to us. Um, he really, really took time to learn about us as a family to learn about IVF. He was so respectful. Um, and he was respectful to the government too. I mean, he listened to them. He, he gave both sides so much time. Our first hearing was nearly two hours. Um, and it was all about statutory interpretation. And, you know, he was a very, he is a very good judge. And so he did what very good judges do and he was objective and fair. And so we had no idea which way he was going to decide, but we felt great that he had listened to us. Um, then it got weird, um,
0: (sighs) (laughs) before you say that (laughs) I'd never been in a courtroom this was a virtual courtroom but I'd never been to court before um I didn't know what to expect I mean I've been prepped by the lawyers as to you know what to do if I was asked difficult questions of any kind but I was you know halfway expecting to sort of move into you know some sort of like movie scene where there would be
3: I think oh, Johnny the thought they were going to have moments. powdered wigs.
0: <laughs> the, rigor, just the rigor of the, the conversation, the, the way in which the judge conducted the room in a way that was so um, just disciplined and careful and everybody was so intellectually on top of it. I was astounded by how I mean, I do clever things at, at times, but I've never seen anything like it um, in my
3: life. I was very impressed. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it got, you know, Ellen, you attended some or all of them, so I don't know what your opinion was. But I think it really got the attention it deserved um, in, in, the, in the hearings. Um, but like I said, then it got weird <laughs> because what had happened. Um, so we filed the lawsuit in July 2019. Simone was without papers in the country. So we try not to say she was illegal, but she was illegal. That's what our daughter was. And all over the news, you know we're hearing about this shift, you know from ICE deporting people who were convicted of crimes to ICE basically just deporting whoever is illegal. Um, we are going to interview you know schools and try to figure out where she's going to go. We're going to pediatrician appointments. No one ever treated us any different, but always in the back of my mind, there was this fear that someone at some point was going to be like, is your daughter legal? Because she can't come to school here. She can't be treated here. She can't get insurance. You know, all these things. I don't know. Some of them, maybe it was irrational, but it was a fear that I had every day about what it meant for our daughter to be like, what if we were pulled over for speeding? I mean, and maybe we weren't even speeding, but like, gosh knows what people are allowed to ask in this, in this climate where immigration is such a, you know, crazy topic. And then Johnny's parents came to visit in October of 2019. Um, And they're elderly and they get around. I don't mean to like sort of make them sound worse than they are. (laughs) But, you know, it's four hours to the airport. It's 10 hours on a plane. It's three hours through customs and the border before you get to that. So it's it's a 15-hour journey for someone who's 80 and 76 with health concerns. Um, And so they visited because they had to because there was no way for us to go there, and they want to have a relationship with their granddaughter. And they spent a week with us. It absolutely broke our hearts when we had to say goodbye to them because it felt like it might be a long time before we saw them again. And I had this fear. Johnny did too, but I was just articulating it a lot. I had this fear that one of them was going to need us that something might happen and that Johnny was going to be in a position. We all were, but really Johnny was going to be in a position where he had to choose between his parents and his daughter. And if he needed to go for a month to the UK to be there for his parents, he would have to leave his daughter behind. And I sat down, we sat down as a family, and we agreed that we're going to do the right thing for our daughter and we're going to apply for her to receive a legal permanent resident card, which gives her some status in this country and it allows for her to leave and reenter. So if we had to get to the UK... For Johnny's parents, or his sister, or his niece, we could do it because did, family is more important than principle.
1: Absolutely. Did the attorney? Did you ask them about that, and did they advise for or against that?
3: Um, I think I have to say I can't say that. Um, <laughs> not because it's anything. That's bad.
1: fair. That's fair.
3: I don't think it's nothing controversial, and it, it's what yeah. you know you might expect. But um, yeah, it would I think be attorney-client privilege um, breach. But sure, um, we did right. discuss it. Um, And never in our imagination did we think that it was going to be a problem in the litigation. And here's why. Because we had talked to other couples in our position who had filed for that. And they had filed for it a long time ago and were still waiting for it. And everything on the internet said it was going to take a couple years to get. And so my greatest fear is Simone's one, this litigation could take years to resolve. We could win in district court, lose on appeal, and then have to be applying for her to receive an LPR. And it, so it could be four or five years before she's able to leave the country again. And Why in don't the meantime, just, if anything
1: happens with Johnny's parents, yeah. right?
3: Then right. you know, I'm depriving we're depriving his his parents of a relationship with their granddaughter, which is so important. Yeah. And so we sat down and we decided to spend the money and get that protection for her. And they processed that thing at lightning speed. Yeah. I don't know what happened. <laughs>
2: or interesting, right? right? right. <laughs> the one time, yeah,
3: yeah. Like, apparently, like, green cards aren't being issued, everything's shut down, Nothing works Except, you know, baby Simone gets, you know, an LPR at lightning speed. And then they used it against us. And then they decided to make the litigation all about whether or not we had conceded Simone's right to citizenship at birth because we had taken a first and preliminary step towards naturalizing her. And now i mean this this is when my voice is going to get kind of stern because th- this is when it really got serious for me this is when i got really PO'd. cuz you know we're parents <laughs> and we're children and and we we try to be good people and I, this government put our child out in the rain they put her out in the rain she's illegal in her country and then they want to punish us for giving her a coat you know who would not protect their child. Who could wake up every day and say, our child's illegal, who cares? Our child may not be able to see their grandparents, who cares? You know, we don't have a lot of money. We don't have endless bank accounts. We had to spend, you know, a, 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 a year's worth of, of school for her to get that LPR card. But we did it so that she could be safe. And then they turned around and made a huge scene in front of the court and tried to make us look frivolous for it.
1: And I have to say that hearing is the one that I was a little worried where the, they, so they were arguing that you didn't have a case anymore. The issues were moot because she was a citizen now. And, you know, yes, there were some differences, maybe, maybe not. Could she be president? Which I thought was very interesting arguments related to that. And some of those questions did make me nervous and how the judge was, was asking about it.
3: Me too. I mean, I'm a, you know, I, 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 I was a litigator um, and I, I said to Johnny after that hearing, I was like, "We need to prepare to lose." And at that point, you know, we'd been living with this a year. Um, I there's no way to really to describe, and we're probably not willing to describe, just the psychological toll this has taken on us, just how difficult it has been to be sort of treated the way we were treated, and how much it has made us question. And so I knew if we lost the case, that it was going to be. Um, it was going to be another one of those days in that hotel room. And so we needed to have a plan, you know, so we, we came up with a plan, you know, who are we going to call? Who are we going to tell? We're not, you know, we're going to keep it. We're not going to talk to the press. We're going to take care of each other. You know, If that means we have to go like hide in a place, you know, the three of us, me, Johnny and Simone until we feel better in a couple of weeks before we talk to anyone. That's what we're going to do. So we came up with a plan to lose because it felt, Like we, it felt like the government had done a really great job of tricking this court. Yeah. Um, And.
1: Did you you have a plan if you won?
3: No. (laughs) (laughs) No, we didn't. But every day I loaded, you know, you reload your email, you swipe down on your phone and, you know, it even says like downloading three of three and you wait for them to come in. And one of the things that's weird about the judicial system, right. Is that the decisions can come in at any moment. Mm -hmm. Like, any moment. So we just lived on pins and needles for weeks. And it was last Thursday. Johnny Mm -hmm. had just come up from his office to get a snack and um, giving me a kiss. And he was on his way down the stairs and I was going back to clean up the kitchen. And he came back up and he was like, we need to sit down. And I was I knew what it was. I was like, okay He saw it come in. He saw it come in. I hadn't seen it come in. Oh wow. And it had come from the lawyers. And Johnny, you know, Johnny's very, very measured. He's not a lawyer. He's very careful about everything. So he's not gonna say it's good news. So, you know, the end of the story, obviously, is that the email said, congrats, you won.
1: Yeah,
3: but, <laughs> I was going to ask, what did it say? Like, what did he
1: know?
2: Yeah, he's like, <laughs> we
1: have news. We're not going to tell you it until I know, you read right? this 54-page opinion.
3: It
0: was a cliffhanger for me because right, there were actually two emails that came in. Don't say what they said. Besides no, I that. won't. But uh. I read the one that didn't say... Congratulations, you won. I read the one that was like more procedural. i some stuff. Yes.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> part of <laughs> it's dismissed, you know part, part not means. dismissed. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so we sat down on the couch together, and I still didn't know what it said. And I decided, I was like, I'm going to say a prayer first because whatever's about to happen is going to be hard or great. And so I said a prayer for a few seconds. And then we read it together, and we just, I'm, I could cry, right? I might cry. Um, we just cried. It was just such a relief. It was just such a, you know, like you could paint this story as, you know, a child, you know, like Elia Gonzalez is going to be deported at any minute. It was, that's, that's, that was never going to happen. You know, we were going to do everything we could to keep Simone in this country. And we were going to, and we could, we could naturalize her. This was never a story about a child that could be deported at any moment. People might read it that way, but it's not what it was about was about three people trying to be a family and the State Department not letting them. And at that moment, when that decision came in, it felt like we were a family. And it just felt really personal. And maybe I'm making you know, too much of this judge. You know, maybe he just wrote an opinion and lit on with his life. But in my mind, he's like a Santa Claus figure um, because he had an easy way out. He, he could have dismissed this on standing. It would have been the wrong decision. It should have been overturned if he did. It was, it was a bad decision, but he could have. And he really took the time. His clerks took the time. Whoever worked on this took the time to really listen, really look at the law, and not let the government pull the wool over their eyes and create this separate but equal track for children of same-sex parents. And I just felt really emotional about, you know, Whoever that jerk was at the State Department didn't treat us right, but this judge stood up for us. Yeah, and that—that's everything.
1: Wow, so moving. I'm so happy it turned out chill. this way. <laughs> um, before we end, I wear. How are you guys now? What's the future hold?
0: Well, I mean. We are. I, I honestly think we're still healing from what happened to us, but we yeah. feel great. We feel. We feel heard. We feel legitimate as a family. We. Feel, I, I personally feel like there is a a weight, not just like something that I was carrying, but something that was tearing me apart. It was really like it was really insidious and nasty what was going on, and it happened. It took so long to resolve. And I'm just so glad that it's gone.
3: It's like the specter has left. Yeah. Um, agreed. You know, my um, I, I will, I'm not ashamed to admit that I um, sought out some professional help through this process because it was really yeah. tearing me up. And um, one of the things my therapist had said to me as we were preparing, you know, to get this news, my therapist said, you know, if you win, it would be normal for you to, to then feel all the resentment and all the anger that you've not been letting yourself feel. Um, and I'm not having that. I really am not. I, no. People are like, isn't it terrible what they put you through? And I'm like, it is, but you know, um, our whole lives have been that way. Our whole lives have been, no, you can't, no, you can't. And we just keep coming back um, and saying, you know, basically no, is just a request for more information. And <laughs> we came out that way. we, you know, earned our right to marry that way. We earned our right to have kids that way. And we won this litigation against the state department that way. So I don't feel bitter. I don't feel like, you know, mad. I just really am happy. Um, and procedurally, you know, we're going to get a passport here in a few weeks. Um, we'll have a record of Simone's citizenship from birth. Um, Johnny and I have agreed as a couple, as a family that we're going to live in this moment and we're not going to talk about the appeal, but (sighs) The appeal is coming. They will, they will do it because they've done it to I everybody else. didn't want to say it, but yeah. They will, but that's fine. We're going to live in this bubble for now. Yeah. Um, and we're not, cause we've just been through too much and we're not going to be afraid of the future. We're just going to be happy this has happened and the government will do what the government's going to do and we'll deal with it then. And besides that, we're trying to do our jobs and raise a good child. And, you know, we're trying to, to have another one. Um, and so ah. we're not going to stop, you know, we, um, <laughs> We have dreams and we're, we're going to keep chasing them.
1: That's amazing. You guys are an absolute inspiration. I thank you so much for, for sharing this with us and wishing you nothing but true happiness and the best in the future.
3: Thank you so much for paying attention to us. It's been really wonderful reading your work. So thank you.
2: I, I'm not even sure I have words after this one Mm -hmm. because this, this kind of needs to like stand on its own pinnacle of incredibleness that was such a just phenomenal story so full of emotion Mm -hmm. it was so raw they were so incredible for sharing every bit with us and I really really appreciate them
1: absolutely and for those of you who have words to share about the podcast, we would love it if you would write a review or rate us. Um, we love five stars, but whatever you you feel deserving, we would I was, appreciate that. Gonna say, don't force people to give no, us five just stars just, if they're uh, not comfortable. It's out of five, just just so you know. Okay. okay. Um, you're also welcome to call 303-997-1903, and we do get those messages and eventually get back to people. Although I remember, I need to respond <laughs> eventually. To back to you and we love getting them so please um please reach out and uh as always we would love to thank our team who um i you always say they make us sound great and i just want to like caveat that like they do their best with what they're given that's (laughs) fair okay yeah so they do a great job with
2: you know with with the source material that they have yes Mm -hmm.
1: but amanda tyler chris from work at bird studios who else do i need to thank I I think that that's, that's it. That's our, that's our people. We appreciate you all and especially our listeners. Thank you guys for listening.